Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the 180th episode of the award-winning Diverse Minds Podcast. And this month's theme, because it's February, is all about intersectionality and LGBTQ plus history month. Now, before we carry on with today's show, I wanted to let you know my TEDx talk about the connection between culture, race and mental health is now live. It's something you can watch in your break as it's just 12 minutes long. The link is in the show notes and I'll also give it to you here. It's bit.ly forward slash TEDx, so TEDx, Wolves, W-O-L-V-E-S, L-O. So that's bit.ly forward slash TEDx Wolves L-O. So I really hope you enjoy it. It was a labor of love. And if you enjoyed it, please leave a positive comment on YouTube channel, share and like it with colleagues and friends. Um, the idea is to really get the message out there. Um, and I'd also love to hear your thoughts. So as always, you can leave me an anonymous voice note on SpeakPipe or email me at Leila, L-E-Y-L-A at diverseminds.co.uk. Okay, so on with the show. LGBTQ History Month runs via the whole of February. And this year's theme for the month is hashtag behind the lens, celebrating LGBTQ plus people's contribution to cinema and film from behind the lens. So people like directors, cinematographers, screenwriters, producers, animators, costume designers, special effects, makeup artists, lighting directors, musicians, choreographers, and beyond. And the idea is, is that at a time when LGBTQ plus lives are in the media, encouraging all of us to look behind the lens and listen to the various lived experiences people have. So on this note, I've decided to focus the podcast on intersectionality, not just life behind the lens of LGBTQ plus people. And often when we read, see and hear about LGBTQ plus experiences, it can be from one viewpoint. And in my experience, particularly learning about this area and starting to engage in this area of work, it did seem to be the white, youngish British male experience. Now, you might have listened to my episode about intersectionality and disability. And again, I highlight there, as I will do again, this term intersectionality coined by Professor Kimberly Crenshaw over 30 years ago about describing the way people's social identities can overlap. And it speaks to the multiple social forces, social identities, and ideological instruments through which power and disadvantage and privilege are expressed and legitimized. So in workplaces, if you're celebrating LGBTQ plus history month, it's vital to consider these intersections. Otherwise it can feel one-sided and not about showcasing the whole perspective of lived experiences of this community. And if we think about LGBTQ plus communities, and this is, I'm putting it into slightly, I think, very clear ways, and I know life is more nuanced than this. I've built on examples provided by the Equality Network in Scotland. So let's say a gay white man with no disability um, has to deal with homophobia or may have dealt with homophobia in their lifetime. And we know that black communities, particularly black men, have to deal with racism consistently, sadly. And if we think about someone who identifies as black and gay, they are likely to have to deal with homophobia and racism often at the same time. And of course, that will also depend on where they live, support networks and access to resources, et cetera, and their job that they have. And it's often also the case that a black gay man will face racism inside the LGBT plus community in and of itself. And um, 
also potentially homophobia within a community you might identify with. Similarly, if we think about a disabled lesbian Muslim person, she's likely to have to navigate ableism, so things that are based around the idea that people are not disabled, uh, homophobia, Islamophobia, racism and sexism, potentially. We don't know the racial identity of this Muslim. Um, but she might also find physical barriers to accessing LGBTQ plus venues or any venues indeed. And do check out episode 119 on universal design and why it's so important. It talks about that. But even if she can access a building, she may still face Islamophobia from a predominantly non-religious LGBTQ plus community. So having uh, an intersectional identity often generates a feeling that someone does not completely belong in one group or another and can lead to isolation and mental ill health, because we know that if someone's isolated and they cannot be who they want to be, this is likely to lead to mental ill health. So I really hope you're enjoying the content of this podcast and want to keep up to date. And if so, why not join my bi-monthly newsletter? When you join my mailing list, you'll receive a free copy of my ebook, The Mentally Healthy Leading Manager. And that link is bit.ly forward slash mhlmebk21. Okay, so what can we actually do about this? And I'm very cautious that I don't identify as being part of the LGBTQ plus community. And the stance I'm taking it from is not to say I've got lived experience in this area, but how can we create events? And maybe it's too late for this year, but also events throughout the year that take this intersectional approach. And by taking part of taking this intersectional approach is to recognize people's lives are multidimensional and complex and therefore presenting the opportunity to have these multiple stories talked about and explained and not as just as an add on. And we know that human lives can't really be explained by single categories. So we are more than our gender, uh, our race, our sexual orientation. So it's this idea that lived experience is an interactive thing um, and it's multidimensional and it goes beyond labels that we put on people so the other thing to say is in order to understand someone's experience lived experience we have to understand structures and systems and you know I talk about this a lot in the podcast so if people have experienced systemic barriers based on their race their religion their identity um, their disability being disabled by society in effect this is going to play into and feed into their identity as an LGBTQ plus individual. Now, not always, and I don't want to speak for everyone, but it's likely to have because of the multidimensional approach. And we also know that relationships involve power dynamics and therefore power imbalances are inevitable. And much like we get in the race spaces, well, I've never had any racism or look at our current prime minister at the moment who is brown. Okay, we have to then look at their trajectory and their life. And in particular with the current prime minister, we know, and he talks, kind of talks openly about it, or it's kind of been forced out of him, but it's incredible wealth privilege. So that doesn't take away being brown um, and whether he's ready to acknowledge and realize that is another question, but how that wealth will serve as an insulation for some of the barriers that people who might identify him in other ways will experience. And that's going to be absolutely the same within the LGBTQ plus perspectives and experiences. And then how people have to navigate and negotiate power, particularly in institutions, whether that's health institutions, public service institutions and workplaces. So it might be okay and it might be perfectly fine and acceptable for senior staff. And we know that generally senior staff in this country tend to be white British people um, are identify as part of the LGBTQ plus community. But let's say there's someone in a role that isn't um, isn't seen as senior and isn't seen as 
powerful uh, and what is their right quote quote unquote right to be part of the LGBT plus community maybe they don't receive time to attend the network events if their networks in place maybe they they don't have the opportunities that other people have so it yes it shows that compounding factor and it's also really important how to reflect on this because this can support workplaces to increase their awareness of these positions of power and by doing that we start to then think about this transformation and collective work towards social justice. Okay, so let's think about some practical examples if we think about LGBTQ plus history month. So firstly, and this you probably thought about this as I've been talking, consider who you choose to speak at events. Um, now this could be internal staff, this could be external people, um, and how could this be broadened? Do you always have a list of go-to people? I'm not saying get rid of it, I'm not saying it's wrong, but how could this be added to? And if you always have someone speaking on a panel, could they chair the panel this year and you invite a broader dimension of people into the fold and it's never been easier to find people um not to say that they're going to be free and available but there, there are lots of ways to find people so twitter instagram um, googling linkedin you know that there's lots of ways and to build a rapport and also to say that you know you need to have a budget because you need to pay people for their time um, and if people are speaking internally how do you re recompense their time if that's what they want um, so having a specific event or topic on LGBTQ plus identities, if this is new, new in your organization, and if it's established, integrate it. So um, when I worked at Imperial, one of the events we had, and this was years ago when this wasn't actually that usual, um, was I met a brilliant person at an event um, talking about their transition journey and they identified as being South Asian and we had them to speak. And they really, really talked a lot about this their particular lens of being South Asian, the challenges with their family. And again, it's not about stereotypes, it's about explaining it. And actually they talked about how workplaces can tap into this without making assumptions. So really important thing. So it's a great event, but also informing managers, if, this, if you have a staff in your team who's going through something similar, these are the top tips from someone who's been through it. And we also showed one of the Bayard Rustin films. And of course, this is great because it links to history. It, it links to social justice. Um, black gay community is not new. Uh, and understanding the role of people who identify as both black and gay, and of course, much more than that, is so important. Then again, thirdly, if you're celebrating Disability History Month, Black History Month, Women's History Month, integrate the LGBTQ plus perspectives into them. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, so always thinking about how do we integrate? What are the perspectives? Um, of course, we're not going to push people to talk about their sexual orientation if they don't want to, but if they volunteer or they're out or they're happy to talk about it, um, then this is a really great opportunity to do that and get them to shape the identity that they want to talk about. Also not assuming particular cultural stereotypes about who does and doesn't accept LGBTQ plus people in their communities. I think uh, most communities will have horror stories. Um, some of those things will change through time, but I think it's very, very important not to do that. So be open with your thinking. And I'm going to share an example, actually, um, that still really, really shocks me. I was doing a training session for a very, very senior team in a very large university. And we were talking about one of the members of the team who was the gender equality champion, which I think makes it even more shocking, was talking about the fact that they had not been consulted about gender neutral toilets and how this shouldn't just be an estates issue, because I think estates did have it under 
you know, they, they were, it was going to go to the next estates committee, from what I understood from this session when we were having a discussion. And the, the idea was really straightforward, really simple. Certain toilets in certain buildings were going to be, they were going to be male and female and then gender neutral. And some of the accessible toilets were also going to be labelled as gender neutral. And this individual was very, very exercised about it. And she said, we haven't been consulted as a senior leadership team. How can we not, you know, how can we do this? How, you know, this is, this is really important. This needs to come to senior leadership. And I'm thinking, wow, this is, you know, great. If estates are taking it to me, it's quite an operational thing in the sense of not in terms of people's emotions and being able to access toilets, but I mean, in terms of the labeling and if the decisions have been made and they're going to be gender neutral toilets um, and, there's been a conversation around the facilities in those toilets great but she was she was very exercised about it and she said and she said you know I just don't think we've been consulted and I said oh could I just ask what what's the challenge here what what's the concern she said you know I just don't think international students would want to share a toilet with trans people you know with men with international females I said right okay what's the issue with international females or international students well you know uh, Muslim students I said oh right okay that's interesting what is it about Muslim students and this is really weird because if you think about a history of transitioning and I think about it's not necessarily a full medical transition but you know if you think about India and the history of eunuchs and all of that you know this is not new this is not a new western concept actually so I said okay that's really interesting and of course you know, there's a history of, I'm taking one country here, Iran has had a history of letting people change their gender, actually. Um, so it's very, very misguided. And it's, you know, incredibly worrying. And then she said, well, you know, um, older women in my team, and I just thought, wow, are we just going to keep going through every single staff and student uh, <laughs> category here? And I went, right, okay, I just want to challenge you to think about that. And, you know, she didn't like me. And, and in the same breath, earlier on in the training session, she said, we don't need to talk about intersectionality. We're experts on intersectionality. I was like, wow, okay. And now you've come out with this. So it's very interesting, isn't it? People's perceptions. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about it. And I know that the toilet issue is one that people like to latch on to. And I'm thinking about, well, you know, Kemi Bandanok changing those gender neutral toilets, you know, putting a sign over them. It's just incredibly petty, isn't it? Because we can have male toilets, you know, we can have toilets for people who identify as female, toilets for people who identify as male, we can have toilets that are gender neutral, we can have accessible toilets, etc. I don't really, yeah, anyway, I'm going to stop there. But that, I really wanted to share that example around, you know, don't assume particular cultural stereotypes. Um, and then services or things that you offer in your workplace. So um, parenthood programs or schemes for parents, thinking about that, um, you know, people who are parenthood from the LGBTQ plus um, perspective, it could be that, you know, you need to think more about the, the journey that the parents have to take or the support that someone might need in terms of, you know, broadening out the perspectives in terms of same-sex partners and the parenthood journey. So things to think about. Your employee assistance service and programs and making sure that counsellors and people who are equipped and adept to support people who want to talk about their sexual orientation and link that to, and it's, if it's linked to their mental well-being, which it normally is. And how to train people in managerial discussions if someone wants to raise something around sexual orientation. It could be positive. It could be around bullying and harassment. It could be around uh, career progression. There will need to be training because there are particularly nuances on that. Um, understand the history of oppression of groups and that initial awareness. So an example, something I learned is that it, this is the first time um, the census in over 200 years that LGBTQ plus citizens were officially counted as part of the census. 
you know, wow, but it's a truly historic moment for the LGBTQ plus community. But after years of invisibility, I was really shocked by this because I would have imagined that this would have been done before. So in training sessions as well, get a variety of specialists from a number of backgrounds and walks of life to do training, LGBTQ plus training. So it doesn't have to be a bolt on. I think especially with allyship training, as humans, we know we don't fit into neat little boxes. So if you are doing allyship training in this area, you want different perspectives for your allies to understand those intersections. So I think there have been shifts and the dots are slowly starting to join. And I'd really love to know what your organisation is doing and how they're taking an intersectional approach. So please do get in touch because intersectionality is about looking at the whole person, the community and the lived experience, considering elements that may give advantage and also may create barriers. And we know that it's unlikely that any two LGBTQ plus experiences are going to be exactly the same. And consider things outside your own lens and reflect. There's lots of information out there, as we know. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast from. I really hope this has been useful. Wishing you a very happy, joyous, and productive LGBTQ plus history month. Until next time, everyone, take care. Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcast from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.